This week, we're starting a two-part series with Ted Harrow, president of Renovare, on how his nonprofit helps churches make disciples. We hope you enjoy. This week, we'll continue talking about the church's primary mission, making disciples. And we'll be talking with Ted Harrow. Ted is the president of Renovare, and you're going to learn more about what that is if you don't know it already. I'm Charles Gallagher, president of Vision New England, and your host for The Church in Action. Ted, thanks so much for being with us. I really do appreciate it. Totally my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I've been excited to have this conversation because I've only, as you know, I've only learned of Dallas Willard in the last year. And so uh, anything more I learn is a big boon for me. So I appreciate it. But could you give us a little bit of background on who who you are and how you came to be at Renovare? The fact that I'm serving as president at Renovare is as big a surprise to me as anybody else. Uh, I spent the first 30 years of my career working in the marketplace, primarily in strategy and leadership development consulting. And then uh, about five years ago, I, uh, I won't bore you with the whole story, but I stumbled into um, the Renovari Institute, which is a two-year intensive program that Renovari uh, hosts. And I decided to participate in that. Had a, I went there to kind of beef up some ministry skills that I wanted to use as a volunteer in our church and in the world near me and um, and got a lot more than I bargained for. So I, I really had a quite a profound uh, changing experience, a transforming experience for myself in that in that two or three year uh, time frame and uh, thought that was going to be the end. Like I got more than I ever asked for and ever paid for. And then through a very strange set of events um, with the retirement of my predecessor here, Chris Hall, who was uh, just a beloved leader and theologian, um, the opportunity came to have someone like me be uh, come president at Renovari. And uh, that was a very interesting six month uh, head scratching hairpin turn in my career to go from not being interested at all to being open to eventually really sensing that God was opening a door and not kicking me through it, but opening a door for me to come serve in this time at Renovari. So that's, I'm a, I'm a business person who has spent most of my life as a very engaged volunteer in my local church, um, but mostly spent my waking days out in the marketplace, loved it, saw it as part of my ministry. And then uh, here I am. This is the only job in the world I would have considered leaving my consulting practice for. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a, that's, so it's, it's a crazy time. So. And, and I want to talk more about the Renovari Institute uh, as, as we progress, because uh, what you just said is what I've heard from other people who've done the, the two-year cohort. Mm -hmm. it's, it's that it is utterly transformative in their lives. And you say, well, there's lots of programs out there. And, and no, 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 this is different. <laughs> and, and it's hard to explain it to someone who's not been through it is sure, the sense sure. I'm getting, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and so we've been on this focus for a while now in, in the Church in Action, talking about some of the research we did about a year ago that really exposed that the church isn't good at making disciples or spiritual formation, people who look like Jesus, act like Jesus. Um, and, and we've uncovered that most of us don't know the spiritual practices or what God is going to use to transform us uh, to, be, to be like uh, that. Are we unique in New England in this? Is, is this a more of a national thing? Because you have a bigger view than we do. No, I don't think in any way that's unique. And I think it's not even it's not even uh, a new thing in terms of time. I think this is actually an issue that's been very present in the particularly in the Protestant church in the West for decades, at least, maybe even 100 years. And uh, it's actually how Renovari got started um, was that Richard Foster, who's the founder of Renovari, 
wrote a, a book that kind of exploded, very unlikely exploded. It was, it was an unsolicited manuscript to HarperCollins. They don't take many of those. They took a chance on it and it sold a lot of copies. It's called Celebration of Discipline. And that was about 45 years ago that came out now. And, um, and from that, it, he was really exposing and saying that there is this rich treasure in the history of the church of how you actually become the kind of person who's like Jesus and uh, practices as a really important way, not the only way, of course, but as a very important way of making that happen. And that was like new news for a lot of people in, in uh, the Protestant uh, church in the West is of course, is not new news at all. And especially for our brothers and sisters in the Catholic and Orthodox traditions uh, they've, they've known and held these things for a long time. Um, so no, I don't think new England is, is unique here and nor do I think it's a new thing. I think that we had lost something and we're, uh, what Renovari is doing along with many other people doing great work is trying to bring some of those things back to the forefront of the consciousness of the church. You know, Ted, you make a good point in that because I think for, in many of our traditions, we don't talk about becoming like Jesus is something that happens in this life. If we talk about it at all, it's maybe a next life thing. And so, but Foster, Dallas Willard, right? They're making convincing arguments. uh, I think very biblical arguments and no, Jesus intends transformation in this life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, And I think, so you, you asked, I'm going to go back and answer a question that you kind of half asked, which is, um, uh, what is it that gets in the way of us? having this orientation towards uh, transformation in everyday work. And it starts with our deep beliefs. I mean, I would say in many of our Protestant traditions, like you just said, we actually think that we're, uh, it's it's not wrong. It's just not complete that we're sinners saved by grace Mm -hmm. and that we're waiting. I I actually had a friend say this to me, I'm a sinner. I'm just waiting to get to heaven and take as many people there as I can. And um, and what what Dallas and Richard have and others, so it's not just them, of course, but they're they're the, the kind of thought leaders that started this movement. Um, what they have been saying is that Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom and that the kingdom is now that that the the present activity of God in the world. And of course, we are part of that world. So so in our lives is available Right now, just like when we turn a light switch on, electricity is available all the time. When we turn the light switch on, that's when we actually have power. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so we we kind of believe the audacious claim that that um, people can change, which is not the gospel of our culture. Our culture is basically says the leopard doesn't change his spots. You know, that's just the way I am. You be you. I'll be me. I mean, these are all the underlying teachings of our culture is that humans can't change or, or, or the self, the self-actualization piece of the culture. I can change. I can change me. Right. Right. And I want to change me into my preferred version of myself. Mm -hmm. The audacious claim of the, of the, of the broad sweep of the movement of formation is to say, actually um, we can change be more who God created us to be when we cooperate with God. And that spiritual practices are our tiny little feeble way of partnering with God so that we can become more and more like him, that we can start to think and feel and act and relate and show up in the world 
in a way that Jesus would if he were in our place. That that's the audacious claim of Jesus that that's actually and his followers that that's actually possible. I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago and we're talking about that my burden is easy, right? My yoke, my yoke is easy, my burden is your burden. And he's like, but it's not. <laughs> and, 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 it, and it struck me as I look back at those verses, what Jesus says is he says, so learn from me. Right. I am humble and gentle of heart. Right. And my yoke. And I think a lot of us has conceded that it's not an easy thing, right. but it's because we're not being transformed. We're still trying to be who we were and a good Christian. Yeah. Uh, actually acting like Jesus without inner transformation is, is not only impossible, it becomes deadly religion mm. because, because it's, we, we all know after a period of time, it's this weird cycle of, I, I have this vision that Jesus cast for what my life can be. I, it's impossible for me. I'm going to try really hard, 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 hard. I'll fail. I feel terrible and I'll start again. Well, that, that's, that's not a recipe for joy and peace and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. It just well, it, it and it's the God that gospel is try harder. Exactly. Which which was the Pharisees' gospel that we have to be more righteous than, right? Exactly. Yeah, and, and, and so Jesus is train harder. It would be Jesus would be train with me, not try. Right. And 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 so this notion of training in righteousness and exercise, I think, is is we read the words, but we don't kind of figure out what Paul is really talking about or what Jesus is talking about when Jesus says in Matthew 6, 1, training in righteousness, and Paul is talking about training in godliness and training in truth, and right? As we don't get this concept of training, I think it's because we miss that the spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines are the training, because otherwise I'm left with, okay, try harder, right? I go, I go right back to that. I don't know what else to do. Right, yeah, and, and one of the things that, um, again, Richard and Dallas have been bringing to the table over the past few decades is that we just simply, if we want to become like Jesus, we want to organize our lives around the kinds of things that Jesus did so that he became the kind of person who could actually show up and love enemies mm. and say no to destructive desires. Mm. And uh, all these things that Jesus uses, uh, Dallas would argue, uses illustrations in the Sermon on the Mount of a person whose life is transformed, not as commands, but as, as illustrations. The way you become that way is to actually organize your life around the kinds of practices that made Jesus the kind of person. And not you, if you want to say, well, Jesus was the son of God, so he's kind of exceptional. I don't really know how I'm going to do that. Okay, then organize your life around the, the kinds of practices that Paul and Peter and John and Mary and, and uh, you know, Priscilla and all the, the men and women who are our forebears, how they organize their lives to become students of Jesus about how to have an inner life like his that pours out into his outer life. That, that would be kind of what our core mission is. Right. And Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? And, right. and so it's there, but I think we miss it somehow because it's just, a, you know, we don't have the right frame of reference or mind or I think have this connecting piece of the disciplines to get to how do I do that? What does it look like? Well, we think that when Paul says imitate uh, Jesus, that we can just do it by, by saying, I'm going to do that today. Right. And in fact, it would be like me saying, I'm going to imitate a concert pianist. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I can sit down with a tuxedo with tails at the piano, but if I haven't practiced, 
I am not going to actually sound like that concert pianist. And and sheer willpower just doesn't work, right? Otherwise, our New Year's resolutions would last beyond January third, right? I think, all, I think we all know that. Yeah, and and we'd all be fit and 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 and, uh, and dieting well, right? And and so what is what is what is Renovare then, and how how is it stepping into this? So we are a. Uh, first of all, we are kind of this dispersed community all over the United States. And I like to describe us as a catalytic community. So if you think about, I'm a big baker, I love baking bread. And the best analogy I can think about is that in a, in a batch of dough, we are like yeast, mm. which is a very small portion of the actual dough, but has a transforming effect. And that's kind of how we see Renovari. We are we are sprinkled around, and not just North America, honestly, there are Renovari shoots all around the world. Um, I mostly work in North America, um, but but we are a, a catalytic community that is working with the church to help both people and communities to become who God created them to be. And uh, that is our core mission. Like we, we are a becoming kind of place. We want to be the kind of people and the kind of communities that over time um, are light and salt in a world that's really, really needing light and salt and yeast. Mm-hmm. And and so let's talk about some of the ways you do that. You were just mentioning a little earlier that two year cohort. Yeah. What what share a little bit more if you would about what what is that? How does it work? What do they do? So uh, broadly speaking, what we do is we we work with com- uh, content and we work with communities so relationships and we work with experiences because because experiences will often accelerate somebody's uh, growth and learning. The Renovari Institute is kind of the grand intersection of those three things. It's a two-year intensive, immersive program that we do a cohort of. Every year we start a, a new cohort. So there's always two cohorts going at once. And there are about 45 people from around the world in that cohort. And we meet in a host city. So I, was, I happened to be in the Chicago cohort that started in 2018. That was kind of serendipitous. It was wonderful for me because I drove there. But I had classmates from China, India, England, uh, Germany, and then all over North America. So you have a very interesting group of people that in many ways are very, very different from each other, except they have one thing in common. You're not going to do the Renovari Institute, which has a lot of reading. Uh, it's, you're constantly in small groups. You have monthly practices you're engaging in and you're writing papers. You're not going to do that unless you are spiritually ravenous. Mm-hmm. If you're the kind of person who's, who who is at a point in their life where you say, is this all there is to the way I'm living my experience as a follower of Jesus in my church, in my community? Couldn't there be something more? Every person who comes to Renovari Institute, that is where they come from. So it's a very interesting group of people. And even though on the surface we had, we had lots of difference, that core of like deep hunger and willingness to go deep quickly and to want to change and be more like Jesus was the common bond. So, so we have teachers, of course, who come from all over North America and actually over the world to come teach us, uh, and more importantly, to be with us because it's a community experience. And the teaching is wonderful, but I, I would argue that in our world, good content is actually not that hard to find. Bad content is really easy to find. Good content isn't that hard to find, but authentic community and experiences that help put um, legs to the content is is actually quite hard to find for many of us, and so that's that's what is um, 
a distinctively wonderful thing about the Renovari Institute. And I, by the way, there are a number of different cohorts going on. In fact, right in Boston, uh, Steve Machia's group, LTI, does wonderful cohorts. There are so many people doing good work, and I commend all of them. This is just our expression of it. And, and we've just had Steve on recently talking about leadership transformation. Great guy. What a great guy. We agree. Yeah. And, and so um, just a question that came to me as you're talking about this uh, on, the, on this cohort. Uh, do, do couples normally go through it as a couple? Or do you guys discourage and say, no, it's better to do it as individuals? I would... I'm going to answer both questions. The, the first answer is couples do not normally do it, but it's not because we discourage couples from doing it. It's because what happens with most couples is what happened with this couple. So I'm married to Gretchen yeah. and Gretchen saw the reading list and the papers and all that. And she said, you know what? I'm going to see your stack of books. I'm going to pick that one. And instead of reading it in two weeks, I'm going to read it in six months. Mm. And you can tell me about the papers and you can uh, help me, uh, you know, learn about what you learned about in the lectures. So, so most couples, one partner is like, you know what? That's not my jam. I'll, I'll, mm. I'll audit behind you. But okay. we do have couples. Like I'm going to Phoenix next week. We have a couple there who is, uh, who are both engaged in the, in the Renovar Institute. Um, and uh, the, the, the Institute is a very unique thing. Like we only take 45 students a year. There's always a, there's always a waiting list and uh, it's not for everybody. Not everybody can take that kind of commitment. That's why Renovari Institute is not all of Renovari. Renovari is much bigger and broader than that. That's why we have our book club, which is a content and slightly community initiative. We have, uh, we just did an event for the first time in all Renovari events about 10 days ago in Denver and they're those kind of places where you're going to see couples show up because okay. uh, the 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 investment and intensity is such that both parties can be in it at the same time. And and so if somebody is interested in doing the Renovari Institute, the two year cohort, yeah. where can when does the next one start? Where can they go to try and get to get into it? So if you go to our website, renovari.org, and you're welcome for having a name that nobody can pronounce or spell, but that's <laughs> R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E.org. And you can thank Richard Foster for that. Um, uh, if you go to that website and you'll, you'll see Renovar Institute on one of the drop downs. Um, okay. And we, we start every cohort in August of the year. And uh, we start taking applications in the fall and make selection decisions in February, March time, and then students start in, in, in August. So if someone wanted to start, our next cohort will be in Seattle, uh, which is a nice hop, skip, and a jump from New England. I'm sure you all want to do that. Uh, but in Seattle, in starting the coming August, that, that we start one in Omaha, but that one's closed because we've, we've uh, already taken those applications. Seattle will start in 2024, and then we'll be back on the East Coast. So we kind of do East Coast, Midwest, West Coast, East Coast, so we just finished, uh, we were just in the middle of starting one in Atlanta. So they're, they're at the end of year one. After Seattle and Omaha, we'll come back around the East Coast again. And that will be 2025. Well, and we can't complain about be, uh, being out in Seattle because you all did one here in Boston and not we too did. many New Englanders signed up for it, right? More we people did. from outside true. Boston. <laughs> yeah. True, true, true. So it's our own fault. And, wow. and so, so tell us about the book club. What, what, you mentioned that. What's the book club? So we, we started a book club, I think, about five years ago, and uh, we, we read four books a year. And this is kind of classic Renovari. We, uh, you know, lots of book clubs will take like the hot new books. We do two new books and two old books every year. So we'll usually do a, new, a couple of new books, and they're often from our broad network. So this coming year, we're planning to do 
a book by my predecessor, Chris Hall, which is called A Different Way, where Chris basically tells the story of his own transformation in interaction with the early church fathers and mothers. He's an expert in the early church fathers and mothers. Um, and we're planning to do a book by Lacey Borgo, who's one of our team members. And she's um, uh, she wrote a book called Faith Like a Child, which is not about children. It's actually about how we as adults can be, have faith like children. So we do old, we do new books and then we do two old books every year. So this past year we did GK Chesterton's Orthodoxy, which is a classic. And we did Sojourner Truth's uh, narrative of her story. And um, uh, we do that because Cord, we, we have, if you look at Renovari, one of our distinctives for the world is to bring forward um, forgotten or underread resources and people. So we do that. Um, through devotional classics from from the past, you know, two thousand years that may have been forgotten or overlooked in current day, and we're starting to do more, trying to do more and more of it, where we're looking for non-Western, non-white. So we that's why Sojourner Truth, because we wanted to have um, the story of somebody who had experienced being enslaved. Uh, it's a, obviously a key issue, and and her story. This was very. I, I read the book. It was very moving to me because. I'm from Albany, New York. In my personal narrative, there was never slavery in my home area. That was somebody else's problem. Sojourner Truth was enslaved in downstate New York, about 100 miles from my hometown. So for me to read her story, to read of both the uh, grace of her story and the cruelty of her story as a Yankee, was actually quite moving to me. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing we try to do. We we're always, we're a learning community and we want to open our eyes to things that we maybe we've missed or forgotten um, or overlooked. And and what do, when you're in the book club, what are you doing? Is it, you're, you're oh, getting on a, a Zoom once a month and yeah, talking? Yeah, yeah. About- so we, so we have, we have, there's different ways to participate in the book club. You can participate as, a, as an individual and then you get access to a learning platform and we have, uh, right now, we have biweekly podcasts. So we have somebody who is facilitating through that book and giving guidance on how to understand the book. Um, and then we have uh, periodic uh, webinars that are just for book club members. Okay. Some people also participate in, we recommend that you participate in a, in a group. And that could be, of course, a group of friends in your local area where you get together oldie schooly. And, uh, you know, and, and you actually read a hardcover book in person and talk about it. Um, but more and more people, of course, are doing it through Zoom with sometimes with people they know. And sometimes they'll end up signing up to be in a group through us that is with people they don't know from around the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we, let, we like create the opportunity to make that happen. And we love it when it happens. And I have friends mm-hmm. who have met really good friends through that. Because, again, uh, it's, a, it's a particular kind of person who's hungry enough to read G.K. Chesterton and Sojourner Truth. I know you also do something called Fellowship of the Burning Heart. Yeah. What, what's that about? So remember, we do content, community, and we do um, experiences. Fellowship of the Burning Heart is a relatively new community initiative. And it's a, it's, uh, it's a very different kind of small group. Think of it this way. And Nate Foster, who is the one who, who run, ran point on this, would tell you that Fellowship of the Burning Heart is one part Quaker spirituality, because there's, there's like listening to God and listening to each mm-hmm. other. It's very listening focused. It's one part spiritual formation groups, which is where you you uh, 
work together and listen to how you are all trying to engage with spiritual practices to become more like Jesus. And it's one part 12 step recovery group. Mm -hmm. So um, you, when people join this movement, they commit to be part of a group of usually anywhere from four to six people. Again, sometimes they know people in the group. Sometimes they don't. They meet once a month for two hours. And there's a, there's a clear structure to it that it helps train people how to listen to each other, listen to God and listen to themselves. So it's an unusual group because it's not news, weather and sports as many small groups end up being. Mm. And by the way, I have nothing against social groups. I love them, yeah. um, but it, it's different than that. It's not a study group where we're going to talk about the right answers on the book. Uh, nothing against studying. Love those. It's not that. Um, it's, it's a group where we, we slow down and we give each other and give God our complete attention. And what I've heard anecdotally from people who have done this, I have a friend who's a corporate real estate guy in Chicago here who jumped in the deep end and decided to not only do this, but to facilitate a group. And what he's told me is uh, that as a person who's very extroverted and very type A, he said, um, actually what it's training me to do is to be a better listener so that my family is happier to be with me now than before I started doing this because I've slowed down and I listen to them. And I'm always, I'm constantly learning to listen to God too. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what that is. And we, we hope that it will become a real, again, a, a, a yeast in churches because mm -hmm. we, it, it, it is a, it is one way to have people become deeper people. Mm -hmm. And our conviction is the world doesn't need um, smarter and more capable people, nothing against smarts capability, it needs deeper people. Because the world we live in has challenges that will not be overcome purely by effort and intelligence. This program is created by Vision New England, which accelerates evangelism by helping the church make disciples, do justice, and foster unity so people want to know Jesus and New England is transformed. You can find more resources and donate at visionnewengland.org. This program is brought to you by our friends at the Louise Palau Association, who are dedicated to proclaiming the good news, uniting the church, and impacting cities worldwide.